Yeah, well, yeah, for reference, uh, when I went to the washroom earlier, I had a mocha smoothie. Like I made a, I made a kind of an ice cap type smoothie, right? In the washroom? Then, no, no, just like earlier before we started talking. And Damn, then that would have been awesome. It was in the washroom, like a whole bar setup or something. Like uh, the first. That be interesting. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know when it comes when you drink a coffee and then you go to the washroom after and you know what you just had because you can. As I said, my urine smells freshly brewed. Freshly brewed. <laughs> oh, God damn. Okay. I guess you got your clip uh, for this episode, right? <laughs> freshly brewed. I didn't. I didn't get it. By the way, I haven't put that put up uh, audiogram for the last episode. No, I, I saw that too. But damn, freshly brewed. <laughs> Opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. For Saturday night, September 25th, 2001, presented by Anime North, this is episode 51 of the Anime Roundtable Canada. Good evening from six points, ten minutes south of the Anime North compound in the Toronto West End. Mike Nicholas, James Austin, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg around the virtual table with you. Kevin Ng will eventually join us, or so we're led to believe. He's, in, he's partying it up on the first weekend of vaccine passports here in Ontario. But a quick as, reminder... As this is right, as a fully vaccinated individual. Yes. A quick reminder that we want you to have your say. So, go old school. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com. Socials on Twitter and Instagram at AnimeRoundtable. Archive AnimeRoundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. And in a dream cloud, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Discord. Okay, I want to start off, as we begin taping this, this evening, we have to start now. It's 10.40 Eastern Time as we're taping this, so we wait any longer for Kevin. It's not going to be September 25th anymore. But as we begin taping tonight, I'm watching, to my left, now on mute, the Overwatch League Grand Finals, which is right now turning out to be a route between the Shanghai Dragons and the Atlanta Range. Shanghai, as of this game break, and as we begin taping, are up three maps to nil, one map away, and they will win the 2021 championship and possibly and likely change one of the great narratives in esports after finishing the first season back in 2018 on an 0-40 record, running it all the way back to a championship like this. I get it. There's different players too. But within it, 
One of the discords I kept up with over the last week was Emily Tang's discord, Emily Tangerine. So fellow Overwatch League fans have been talking with her. Emily Tang, just for reference, is the Chinese English language correspondent for the Overwatch League broadcasts, specifically with the Chengdu Hunters, because that's the only uh, or Chinese team within the Overwatch League, at least with Chinese players. So she's, uh, she's their Chinese translator. And within it last night, I kind of got into a bit of a debate with one of the people on their Discord about, about the merits of what uh, Shanghai might do tonight in becoming the champions after struggling for the initial season. And we came to the conclusion it was a bit of an apples and orange argument because there's been so much turnover within that team. And hell, esports sees so much turnover too in terms of the number of players who go in. But then I started to think we're talking a little bit also about just culture. Remember, I'm trying to talk about being an Overwatch League fan or watching esports in general as somebody who watches traditional sports. So in many respects, I'm going into a realm, a culture that is still somewhat foreign to me as a traditional sports fan. Esports fans think probably are viewing this completely different in my world. And that's in, in many respects, maybe that's sort of what we're seeing in other parts of, of anime fandom too. So I'm kind of reflecting on this in terms of, you know, me as a, as a regular sports fan watching this. Remember, I, I got into, we, we, we got into this conversation years ago, James, when we first came back because we were watching Overwatch League when we started version two. Mm -hmm. And... I got into watching Overwatch League, if only because its presentation felt a lot more in tune or felt a lot more polished and felt a lot like a typical Western, Western sports broadcast. But within it was always this debate about, well, there are fans within it. There are esports fans who really don't care about this wider mainstreaming this wider, this reach for a wider audience who don't like to see anybody fuck up with what's been built already. And I think that dynamic may have played out in my little debate with this, with, uh, this, this fan. So I don't know, am I approaching this right or wrong? And that's where I, that's, that's the reflection I have as I'm watching the Overwatch League Grand Final? Or is this, uh, or really, is there's no answer here? I don't think there really uh, is an answer. And as we said, esports is in its uh, infancy, and it'll be interesting to see, especially the Overwatch League, to see how it continues on, because they've had their issues with their uh, corporate masters, so to speak, and... This could kill them and hurt them when it really hurts, and especially if uh, sponsors uh, do continue uh, 
to pull out, but it's definitely not like traditional sports. Uh, for example, the 76ers and quote unquote, the process, because as you said, uh, they definitely change in a flash. Some of the players, right. For esports. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, in Toronto, uh, here in Toronto, we have our overwatch league team as well. And they turned over their roster mid season practically. Well, so did the Vancouver Titans. That's what, that was another story altogether. Could so this you happened- imagine doing that in any other sports league? The unions and everything else would probably be like, there'd be holy hell. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like, but I, I, but where I was, was just the dynamic between new fans or new watchers and then the traditional watchers. In many respects, that isn't that much different from where we are in within anime fandom. There's my segue. So to that end, well, first of all, is there a thought? Is there a thought on the whole esports thing, the esports dynamic, from either Mo or Jeff? All of all of these uh, these esports athletes, uh, they're they're over eighteen, right? Because otherwise, uh, with China's laws, I'm not sure uh, how good Overwatch these uh, teams are going to be in the it, future. Uh, it depends on the league and the games, but in this case, yes, uh, Overwatch League players have to be over eighteen. Okay, so that'll but, be. But they can be mind. signed to a roster. They can, if you're under eighteen, you can still be signed and training with them, but you can't be actually playing. Okay. I honestly think that whole was it three hours of gaming a, a week or something policy they're trying to put into place. I mean, it's it's one of those things that I feel like, you know, in a couple of years they'll probably like rescind it or something or figure out it's dumb and you know backtrack. Well, no, they just find ways around it. Both that's what mm-hmm. uh, they always do with these type of things, but it's just going after uh, things for their own reasons, right? Right. So. But as I said, it, it was just the culture within esports that got my attention, and it made me think about how the similarities within the culture that's presently within anime fandom. So to that end, there, in the couple weeks we since the fiftieth episode, first of all, I can't say we've done too much. Can't say we prepped up the the greatest amount, but. I know James pointed out an article for me on for us on Anime News Network, Tim Morrissey's article from September 4th. In a struggling anime workplace, Cool Japan feels like a joke. This morning, Kevin, and maybe he'll speak to it a bit later if he's able to join us in time, he forwarded me a tweet by Daryl Surratt, which read, quote, Want to see modern geek culture firsthand? Look at all the posts of people begging, pleading for the big corporation to win out over the estate of the original creators because they're convinced there will be no more media ever if the estate wins and has to gasp, be paid. And then a third article is once again from Anime News Network about, well, the headline being, Manga Plus editor says the service is growing fast, but translation costs are high. Okay, all three of these articles are, of course, different stories. I feel they, they, they have a relation. They have a common thread in many ways. And that comes back down to, well, the industry's evolving again. 
sometimes and it doesn't totally know how to handle it right now it, there or at least it's a reflection of the various crossroads with the increased popularity morrissey's article kind of reflected on how cool japan right now might be missing the point at least the key point it seems to be caring about everything surrounding trying to capitalize on the current popularity of japanese pop culture specifically anime trying to boost tourism trying to boost incomes for various places but it seems to be missing it where it's needed the most and that's maybe the industry itself because it, it kind of it tries to remind us the people within the industry are basically on the pover poverty line below the Mendoza line and the high and the high turnover, which isn't good. We've had this conversation before with all, with all these deals going on, it's tough to It's almost becoming unsustainable to meet those, meet all these contracts to meet all this output. So where do you, where does the uh, line between quality and quantity have to be drawn? In the case of Surat's tweet, that was uh, interesting because, well, there's the corporate stuff talking, right? Mo, just pay them more. I mean, come on. And that's that's part of it. And and the thing Sometimes is, you have to where the money goes too, right? Yeah. Because, for example, Cool Japan, they made uh, no uh, some of the bad investments they had before. Yeah, they, that 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 was an interesting article. I, I I liked the read, and I'll have to read it again. Manga Plus, the Manga Plus article is interesting too. Spreading yourself thin. There's there's the quality check, right? And the other thing of that, you're going across the globe and stuff like that. And even for a big company like that, as they said, they have to look at each region almost individually. What is local censorship looking at? So how do they look at certain things? And then they need those translators and stuff like that. And they need, it takes time to find the competent ones and also find them that will actually be able to meet their demand and stuff like that. Because as we said, it seems like it's insatiable on the manga and anime end. I feel like if you pay them more, I can solve a lot of that issues. Well, well the thing is, the yeah, it's part of the solution. And I think you have, and I think Morrissey in many respects tries to set up a money argument there saying, if you keep contracting out, if you aren't, don't pay them now, don't pay your core artists now. You're going to contract out to people outside of the country. And in the long run, it could cost more. I, I, that, that's the crux of it, right? That's to try and that's really Cole's noting it. You have to read the articles are worth a longer read granted. And as we said, like a lot of the animators and stuff like that, a lot of them are doing it out of passion and stuff like that but the burnout is so high it's like why should i be here when i can make a better living in video games and a lot of them go back to video games or to other sectors and that the other thing is the quality just isn't there as some of the old guard has said because they're just running and gunning to get these shows done they don't have the time to properly go one-to-one -one and train them like they used to mm -hmm. so where are we then? 
We're at a crossroads where they're going to cough up some more money and then the issue will go away. <laughs> you hope. But it, but, uh, but the, the, then there's the then there's your involvement. That's why all of them want to be on the production committee, as we said again and again. Because if so they want again, more money, they got to get a piece of the pie, which means you got to be on the production committee unless they figure out a new way to do the system, as they say, right? That's some kind of cost sharing or something? You know, profit sharing of some kind. I mean, I feel like if it, 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 the, the building blocks, you know, the core without them, nothing gets made type situation. I mean, people keep overlooking that, right? I mean, without these animators, there's no, there's no anime, right? Oh, yeah, that's the interesting part. It just feels like a disrespect. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're trying to promote all of this stuff. But it isn't made by the suits. It isn't made by the production committees. It isn't made by... You know where it's made from. But they don't, but they don't seem to... get any real benefit from all of this. I think that that is most highlighted by the Marvel situation, where, you know, the creators of the specific stories that these billion-dollar movies... Um, are based on get uh, according to the sources a five thousand dollar thank you check if they're lucky um like that's all that they're hopeful um all that they could hope for i think that's at least the case with the person behind the original winter soldier script i i'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the case um which is which is just really boring corporate greed like five thousand dollars, like that's that's a joke for essentially a, what should be a writing credit, um, and like it's it's weird. Like from from that tweet, um, it's I, I'm in a very weird place where I completely agree um, with what's being said, but I also do think that you know. I do have some empathy for people who are cheering for the the bad guys or for Disney and, and Marvel um, because, you know, people are attached to, to these characters in, in a way that is, you know, it's, it's something where, you know, I, I guess I understand why people are afraid that Spider-Man might go away. Um, I, it is still, Greed based, um, so like I'm, I'm not arguing that, but um, I think that's that's interesting. Where people are afraid that you know Spider Man's going away, and I'm wondering if there are people who are afraid that anime or good anime will go away if you know, oh no, we have to pay them more. Um, I don't that's, think that's the case, but I don't think that. Yeah, it's just yeah, that's a- that would be the case. And as we said with a few different thought points uh, other people have said before is maybe they should be making less and maybe focusing uh, on certain anime, like maybe those higher end titles more, like you can still do lower end titles, but don't do as many of them and stuff like that. So the but, quality quantity. Uh, yeah. But, but then, but then only popular manufactured stuff gets made, you know, the lesser, more creative stuff doesn't get made. I mean, it's the same issue we have with every movie being a blockbuster, right? I mean, it's it's tough but you know it's it's just when i read okay and oh by the way surat uh i i i 
I know Surat, by the way, is probably watching the Overwatch League Grand Final himself because he's been tweeting about it the last couple hours. Just for reference. So who's in a, so who like I, I I sort of get it, but it's like I see where Surat what Surat's trying to say. It's just I place What's the old phrase? Uh, I want it now. I always like to make fun of that statement, right? Anybody who, who hangs around me knows I like to make fun of that statement. And I think that was, a, that was a catchphrase once used on Anime News Network as well. Like, and sometimes when I hear read that statement, I say to myself, stupid fans. Because that's that's sort of the line I'm. Uh, that's sort of the sentiment I get when I read that tweet too. Fans can be such a fickle bunch. Fandom can be so fickle. It's willing to see the vision of a of a story or character be taken away, be compromised just for the sake of lengthening it. Like that's what that's Marvel in many respects. That's what's happened in Marvel. They're just, there seems to be a hope that it happens to some degree within the uh, anime world. Recap for me. The rights of the creator when it comes to uh, an anime or manga property. Cause you always hear like how much control does, does the, um, does a creator ultimately have, or is it, is it not much different? Because sometimes when you see a copyright, the copyright belongs, it, it, you always see the author's name. I think it is different. And the only reason why I, I kind of have that inkling is because of Shaman King. Like it used to be Shonen Jump and now it's Kodansha. Um, I'm sure there are contracts available, like made there for like a certain amount of time, but that could be why, you know, there were, you know, pauses um, I'm sure there are, are some contracts that, like, I, I don't see Dragon Ball leaving, Sh leaving Shonen Jump. Like, I'm sure there was some sort of amazing money handoff there that sort of sealed sealed that property, uh, you know, to, I guess, Shueisha. Um, but for, you know, B tier and below, I, I imagine it it is, you know, for the most part, a lot more creator tied um, compared to the um american industry hmm. at least for the most part like um you know there's there's you know countless stories of like um situations where that isn't the case but um if you create uh, a character for dc or or marvel they own that character and you're lucky if you get a, a mention in a, a credits if there's an adaptation um but you know, because you don't you don't have like the creator's name be attached, like aside from that Zack Snyder thing um, versus manga anime, or at least for manga, you know, the the author's name is usually really big on the cover of those books, um, at least comparatively. Yeah, I. As I said, I, I, I'm all it boggles me sometimes. But this is like, as I said, this is like a more money, more problems type thing. I, I know I, 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 I'm kind of uh, quoting an, a, another popular hip hop lyric. 
But is this is this where anime and manga could be going? Are we on the precipice of that? I would doubt it. Um, the the culture just seems different. Like, um, I don't think there's as many of the of those weird work for hire contract situations in the manga anime world. Um, I think it's it's a lot. I don't want to say fairer because you know we're we're talking about a lot of injustices in the in the, in the industry, um, but at least when it comes to creator and and work, I think that there is I think things are at least more stable in terms of the and in, in terms of their intellectual property. Yeah, like even if it's still you know not the best or not fair, like because like you know these in in the American industry these things have been happening almost since the. The comic book it. industry has started. Yeah, like Superman stories were in in a horrible um, state for the longest time. Um, you know, so many weird, you know, questions of of Batman have have come up. Like it's 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 kind of built into the the narrative of of the the medium and or at least the storytelling um, structure of at least superhero comics. Um, you know, again, yeah, as you mentioned, since sort of the founding, um, and I don't think that's really been a a huge factor on the Japanese end. I could be wrong, but you don't hear about the stories, at least. Mm-hmm. But as I said, it just seems like fandom wants it to go that way, or at least, what type of fandom? Is that the suggestion uh, Serrat is saying in the tweet? I guess we'd have to ask him. Or is that part of the whole, well, more people, outsiders are coming to the cu- into the culture. And this is the uh, situation we're starting to see. Like, this is part of those, one of those, um, one of those dilemmas that uh, the industry is now facing as hopefully the popularity is booming. And... Once again, to use another cliche we've used, the cold kicking and screaming. Not really sure this is a, a, a an ideal direction. I'd like to see creators be able to hold a little bit of swing, be able to hold have their properties. Because frankly, certain certain creators do. Like I, I think of, um, I think Mark Mark Millar um, with you know his agreements with Netflix. Um, I think there's a lot more creative control there. If you look at, um, uh, I think his name's, is it Kirkman with The Walking Dead and Invincible? Yeah, but those um, are like unicorns, man. Well, they're unicorns, but like, you know, I was able to to list two. But the thing is with those ones, you know, they're they're independent or at least they lean independent. Like they're not with what is has been called the big two. True. Um, and I think that it's interesting that if you look at, um, those comics by uh, Dark Horse, uh, IDW, Image, I think that they were built, um, especially Image, with the foundation of let's give the creators more rights. Because, you know, in the 80s, um, Jim Lee and all these these people were like, this sucks, like, despite the fact that he's working for DC now, I think really high up in the power structure. But, um, you know, a lot of these companies were were built on on these principles. So I think that um, that's why these independent, you know, comics have been able to have more more creative uh, control um, versus if it's, you know, uh, 
DC or, or Marvel. It's it, You're basically just creating something for this company almost worse than a gift. Like you're, you're, <laughs> you're creating something and then they're taking custody. No, um, so maybe in some respects there's something going on, at least on the Western side, in the Western industry. Yeah, and and I think that you know I I think that the the articles that you know were shared I think kind of highlight the the differences I think with you know the on the animation front on these lower rung jobs there are still issues on the North American side but it's it the structure is completely different like we're not you know for the most part most of Western animation is outsourced to South Korea and you know, other places as well. Um, so we don't have to worry about that as much. Um, but in Japan, like there's, you know, different layers where we're not really concerned about um, the creator's rights as much. It's more about these working conditions for animators and the lower level, you know, creatives, background artists, uh, concept designers, etc. cetera, um, which isn't the, the discussions that are being happening being had in the the North American geek sphere, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it but it but it's kind of come to the forefront. Yeah, like I'm at least sure... in, in, in the anime in the uh, manga side in the anime. Yeah, side. Ex- exactly. Like that. That's you know the issues on the manga anime side are more of these. Um, you know, we need fair prices for translators for these um, lower level as feel horrible saying that but animators so like people doing more of the in-betweens filling uh fill-in kind of uh work versus the north american side it's much more focused on you know creators uh rights um which is interesting that it's kind of opposite in a lot of ways right like yeah it's uh, a different focus like i i still my head still spins about (laughs) really Okay, so we've sort of kind of gone through two of the articles. The third one is the Manga Plus article, is the Manga Plus thought. Although I, I don't know what to really say about that, that maybe we've sort of touched on it a little bit, and I'll be honest, I, I'm just it's trying a, to skim it. It's similar right to what uh, Jeff said uh, when he, well, I don't think he really misspoke, but he, it was kind of his thought process, and translators are another piece of the puzzle, at least here in North America, and we've heard it again and again about at least on the Crunchyroll side of their rates being quite low because they, when they came into existence and stuff like that, they said, we'll work for these rates. And then they never really went up and stuff like that. They're like, well, this is the standard. And so at some point you have to realize, well, where are we right now? And they're pumping out way more than they ever did at the beginning. You know what I mean? So, and to get those out, even if they're way ahead, on script and all these other things, there still needs to be like a recalibration, so to speak. And that's something I think they kind of mention in there because they have so many regions to translate, at least for the manga plus app. I guess it's, it's sort of taking all those, like what was established in the Japanese side and trying to extend it, expand it in outside of Japan. But then that's not sitting well with people. Well, or with at least those that are affected. Correct me if and I'm wrong. With the and with the just with the quality concern thing, like it's interesting because, you know, it's we now have digital as as a factor as such a huge factor, which allows for more 
uh, titles to get translated. Like I imagined, you know, years ago, you know, you only had enough money and um, eyeballs on these series to say, okay, we're going to translate these 10, 10 series over the course of the year. Um, we can take our time, you know, publish one every couple months. But like now it's it's like we have 50 manga that we can theoretically publish and get eyeballs on and ad revenue and just actual subscription numbers on. They're coming out every week. We need to get them translated within a couple days so that people don't pirate. Like it's it's more demanding now. Um, and the the desire for quality translation, as we've discussed on this podcast before um is is higher fans are more scrutinous now people have horrible flame wars and arguments about translation so it's it's almost like we want people to do more work and better work for this kind of money that they were making you know 20 years ago or whatever which is ridiculous is it is this another version of and i'm gonna quote conan o'brien's thinking when he talked with uh, Hillary Clinton, because, and I've said this before, with uh, and you can roll digital, you can roll the digital distribution into all into this into this argument, the internet outpacing human evolution. Because when when we talk about flame wars, that's that that's the context by which he get, he said that. Because that's that something that seems to be the case here. The internet, the internet uh, is trying to keep is the internet has driven people's desires, but it can't control. But it's an almost uncontrollable rate. And then the other question is: when people see it on the internet first, sometimes it might be the the unauthorized uh, version. And they may have more attachment to that. But translation, as we know, is an art form. You know what I mean? And when they do the official one, they try their best and stuff like that. And sometimes they have time constraints and stuff like that. And sometimes they look at it differently than someone who's just doing it on the fly, right? And trying to be Mm -hmm. the first. So, yeah, maybe that is the case then. By the way, uh, just a quick aside, since we brought it up at the beginning of the episode, it just happened. The Shanghai Dragons have swept the Atlanta Reign four, four nil. Oh yeah, four nil. Four maps to nil and are the 2021 Overwatch League Championships. The the uh, story for them is now full circle. Congratulations uh, to them in what was probably a pretty, pretty much an expected result. So congratulations to the Shanghai Dragons and their long-suffering fans okay so does that mean the jays are not making the playoffs well that's something else altogether and uh <laughs> did they win did they win oh uh, i, I think know. they're hopefully gonna they're up, win they're up, they're up they're, six they're to the one uh, makers of their own destiny as we know yeah they're well they have to all you can really do is just win every game in front of you they are up six to one on the minnesota twins they are two games behind in the wild card race you know what the great thing is? If you win the wild card, the likely scenario is you have to play the Rays. Yeah, wouldn't that be hilarious? But it was funny getting back uh, to what we were talking about before. You know what the funny thing I, I saw in the article, the snippet, and Jeff made mention about revenue going uh, to people from advertisements. As they made mention, 
a portion of that revenue at the moment is actually going directly to manga authors. And I don't know which ones they are. Hopefully it's to all the ones that are on the service. But that's uh, a nice thing that you don't always see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, so maybe we're somewhere, I guess. But sometimes, as we said, with some of this, it's like you learn as you go along. And uh, we'll see uh, if they find those people that will help them uh, get translations that people uh, will come to enjoy and stuff like that. And it takes time to develop talent. And we've seen it even on the anime side. As I told you, Mike, remember we were saying Crunchyroll was ahead in the non-English market getting all these uh, subtitled anime out to non-English audiences, whether it's Spanish, French, German, Arabic, and so on and so forth. And now Funimation is finally uh, coming uh, to the fore on that. And we're seeing that in the Spanish and uh, Brazilian Portuguese market. We're seeing that with Sentai. But for Funimation, on some of the series they've started out with on the Spanish side, it's like they have been criticized by people uh, in the Spanish-speaking world on some of their first uh, attempts. And I think some of those were done out in Miami, and now they've started going towards where some of those other markets were, which I think they were in, as I said, Mexico City and around there and some other spots in South America that supposedly did work that a lot of the fans uh, enjoy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, but I, I'm kind of glad you said you talked a little bit about. Well, it, this is a new development, so really you have to just learn to live with it or learn as you go along with it, because this is all these are all new developments, new things, new benchmarks in the industry. There isn't anything established. There isn't a precedent, so you're making it here. And the other thing is now you have that global fan base, right? And we don't all speak one language, unfortunately. So now you got a ball going in so many different courts, right? Even if it's consolidated around Sony, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I did want to go back a little bit before we uh, end the topic. I did want to go back a little bit to Morrissey's article because, yeah, it brought up the whole, some of the failed... um, failed projects within cool Japan and Daisuke was mentioned there. That was an interesting one because uh, as uh, has been talked about, it's like, they're like, okay, we're going to try our best. We're going to do our own streaming thing. And I agree that when I tried uh, Daisuke, it just, we complain about Funimation and Crunchyroll and all that stuff. Right. But they took it to another level with their clumsy UI and, what they had to offer and it just it just was not one-to-one so that's why a lot of people didn't even want to give them an option for subscribing and stuff like that they didn't have any must-haves and some of that as they said was that a lot of the japanese uh production committees and stuff like that told them straight up and said well we know we can get better money from Crunchyroll Funimation or other parties instead of you and they just couldn't win in the bidding wars and stuff like that so just because we're playing for the same team cool Japan whatever it's like no you have to stand in line with the others so to speak and they just were not in a good position Mm -hmm. and then it comes back to Sentai where now 
they've put their ball into Sentai and these are people that have been in the market and know how it works and stuff like that. So to develop speak. that. So they'll sense. have a better. Like they have a degree of that trust we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. And they'll have the a better. Story. They'll have a. I think this will go, as we said, a lot better than them trying to do it all on their own from square one and stuff like that. I guess and so even, in that sense, they had a part, like a partner, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. And with Sentai, we also have high diving. Yes, high dive. They're probably going to be promoing that more. But oh, yeah. uh, but it'll be interesting to see how uh, they do because that's the big thing, right? It's like people want that all in one subscription, which I think is never going to happen. Oh yeah, and they got to yeah. find like, those all in one with right? <laughs> all in one with high dive. Like which we. You lost me for a second here. Sorry. Well, I think I was more thinking of um, Verve, remember? Which now yeah, uh, yeah, High well, Dive basically which left. Dive, and they uh, said they're now going to focus more on uh, their own thing and hopefully get some more uh, subscribers. And unfortunately, I think most of the people who wanted to see uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, like myself, have already seen it and stopped our subscription. So that's unfortunate. But they have some interesting ones here and there, and it just depends on which ones they pick to be exclusive. We know they have Lupin uh, Part 6 uh, this coming uh, fall. We'll see how that does for them. I'm not sure it's going to light the world on fire, but I still enjoy it quite a, mi- a bit. I'm not going to subscribe. It's interesting. They're getting different ways also, I think, probably made to draw attention to themselves. Like they're doing a theatrical um, event late uh, next month in October. Hopefully it comes to Canada and Simplex, but so far it's just in the States where they're teaming up with TMS to do a Lupin uh, event. And so they're doing part one, episode one dubbed for the first time ever. And then they're doing the first two episodes of part six sub only. Mm-hmm. As I said, I, I don't know. I just look at it now. It's just one, I'm just wondering, was there ever a chance that another corporate firm could have been in this mix in aside to counter Sony. That the, I mean, that's the number, that's the thing I think about when I look at this too. When I look at the failure of something like Daisuke. And, well, them po- putting a little bit more into really a, a, a small fish in Sentai. And by the, by the way, and it is, for to be fair to Sentai, it's nice to see them still somehow around but it, it always comes back down to was there could there have been another player in all of this that cool japan could have tried to prop or at least uh could have uh put their backing into that could have could have at least countered sony another japanese firm or i guess we'll never know right i mean we th- then it comes back down to okay who else could have say, bought Crunchyroll when Sony didn't have to buy it and rule the world. Well, unfortunately, AT&T wanted a lot of money, so there were only uh, slim pickings of who could pick it up at that price, as they say. Well, and then, well, yes, slim pickings in terms of, one, somebody with the pockets, and two, the willingness to do something with it. I mean, it should have been Disney. That would have been great. I guess it comes down to the whole notion in order to counter an evil, you don't counter it with 
good, you counter it with a different evil. Yeah, why are you willing to subscribe to that thought, right? Maybe it is the estate of an evil creator, and they could have bought it instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so th- that's a Riddick line, I believe. So, yeah, it just still uh, still boggles me because it's just it made me reflect on all those missed opportunities. But it's like saying, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I know privately, Mo, when we've talked about the Crunchyroll sale, you've always said to me, and this was after the Justice Department review, will the Justice Department come to regret allowing? the sale or saying it's okay because i know we had that conversation privately before i mean they'll only regret it if it becomes like a monopoly type situation and i feel like you're right with 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 the increase in viewership of anime i mean who knows in a decade's time when every anime goes through one source that might be an issue you're right but i feel like you know these companies might fold or things might get moved around a bit, you know? Yeah. I guess it also makes the assumption that the gamble pays off because we talked about the gamble. True. 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 We talked about the gamble of the purchase, right, James? Yeah. The gamble of the purchase, but even for the justice department and stuff like that, I feel compared to other investigations they do and things like that, that this one was just small potatoes to them. They've washed their hands of it. They're done. They did what yeah, they and needed there, and to do. And there's plenty of evidence. And at right. the end of the day, whoever was doing it, they've probably long forgotten it by the time whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they have other things on the plate. And remember, you're right. I mean, the small pota- We can go back to the small, small potatoes argument one more time when you look at the parrot numbers that we mentioned last time. And, for, and once again, I'll state it yet again. As much as anime and manga is the center of the universe that we live in as fans, in the broader scheme, oh, and yes, it's, it, it might be increasing a little bit. In the broader scheme, it's still not that much. For now. For now. And, and as we said, there was uh, the bromance before between uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll and stuff like that. And I'm it sure that was discussed there. And I, they're going to say, well, if you tangoed once and it was okay, then you can tango again. Yeah. Well, it's not a bromance. It's a marriage now. <laughs> it's an arranged marriage. Let's see how great that prenup is. <laughs> Good way to put it. But there's a, there's a few thoughts, and I, I know it's kind of random thoughts, and in many respects we're looking at it the same way, but we are. it's an ongoing story, and still a fascinating one, to me. Maybe to everybody else who keeps up. <laughs> okay, maybe just me. <laughs> I get it. But that's... You know, those those are just uh, those are things that just stuck out to us. Just the changing culture and how does the present culture handle new people coming into it? I mean, there's that pair. I I know a number of weeks ago there was this parody article that I think Kevin put up, or was it me? I don't know about a fan saying, "Ask pleading with other fans to not come in." 
and not become anime fans because she wants to remain unique. Aw, boo. You got you got the gist, right? Boo. You get the gist. Yeah. Do you know the article I'm referring to, or you kind of get the gist of what she's I, trying to say? I get the gist. The I, I hate that in general. Just the the uh, oh, don't do this so that I can be unique in doing it only. I mean, go go. No, boo, boo. Yeah, but that's. But I think I think it's a parody also of how a segment of older fandom feels with all this going on. I reiterate. That's part of the flame world. Like that's the changing, it's the changing seas, as they say, right, Mike? Because it's funny which part of older fandom, because I remember when I came in, it's like you think about the fandom before that, and now I guess at that point, the aughts when we had that next wave of it just coming through, I guess now we are the older fandom for some of us at that time. So it's this weird thing. It goes back and forth, back and forth. But at the end of the day, it should be great that we're getting some more fans and they have their own unique perspective to bring to our hobby and stuff like that and just have some civil debates and stuff like that. But, yeah, but that's the problem. It's not really civil. And that's the, the problem I find is some people just take it to this extreme like it becomes a part of them. It's an ownership. And I think it'll be saying we've talked about before with the live action uh, remakes of uh well not remakes but live action interpretations uh, different animes and different uh, properties and stuff like that that people just become so invested but it's its own unique vehicle just go in enjoy if you don't like it don't like it if you are already that set against it then you know what just back away don't even worry about it there's better things to do with your time you know what i mean like why spend all this time spreading hate it is too much energy to be angry all the time. I can say that from experience. And once again, James, very good with the segues. But uh, but once again, uh, but I'll, I'll just just to get away from from the uh, parody article. Isn't that sort of like a another gatekeeping type feel? Absolutely. Yeah. And well, you know how we feel about that. I believe in right? that's how we feel about that. Boo. Yeah. It's like I but, keep on hearing these and I just keep on thinking of the Smash community and stuff like that. And it just is like, man, oh man. Mm-hmm. Some days. Okay, but good good segue, James, because let's well, we're done we're done here. And as I said, just some interesting angles again from themes we've always we've always been talking about in on the show. So are we now talking about uh, the Schwarzeneggers and the Kennedys now? Well, eventually, and yes. And about one of their uh, members becoming Mario. Members. Is that the first? <laughs> is that the first? Is that the first one we wanted to do? Is that the first bullet we want to do as we begin the bullets? These are presented in point form, but could become essays. I did yeah. hear that there was a Nintendo Direct this week, Mike. And oh yeah, yeah there was, okay. I, 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 I got to tell you, Miyamoto is looking old now. Holy smoke. I admit I didn't it looks watch like it's it. Over Fox, but damn. Whew. Yeah, it's just I admit I didn't watch it myself. Is there do you have a takeaway from the Nintendo Direct cuz it does kind of roll into the bullet I was thinking, which it, which everyone already knows. It was but. a fever dream. It like, was great. I I really think that they announced Chris Pratt as Mario first to prime like our brains from not in, in 
imploding and collapsing on themselves as they started revealing the rest of the cast. Because, like, Chris Pratt as Mario, oh, wow, that's complex and weird. And, like, it, it, it just breaks your brain so it can be built upon. So when you get to Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, it's like, oh, yeah, eh, good, okay, that's in line. Or Jack Black as Bowser. That I love. Like that it was interesting that you had Toad too. It's like there were some interesting, like there were a lot <laughs> of characters in that movie. Let's put it that way. So it'll be interesting to see how they pull that story together. I mean, personally, I, I thought it would have been better if they had gotten uh, Danny DeVito as Mario. You know, but that's just me. But but Mario's supposed to be twenty five. I mean, come on, it's voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as complicated as uh, putting John Cho as uh, as Spike. But we'll get to that a bit later. But Miyamoto is heavily involved in it, so obviously he had to sign off on all these casting uh, choices. And I have to wonder, too, if the 1993 Super Mario live-action movie, if some of that is still in the back of their head. And maybe there was some tendency that they said, okay, we're going to work with these guys, we're going to work with Hollywood. And they thought about and they leaned and said, okay, we're going to trust you in some senses. And I wonder if they trusted on casting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and just... it is a Christmas movie. Don't forget. It, oh, I wonder if that plays a factor too. Yeah, they said December twenty twenty two, so okay. it's going to be a Christmas movie. It's a bit before that they're releasing it, but it's right there. So, so here's my thought on it, though. First of all, I am. Like, I'm not flaming any of the choices, because in the end, these are just voices for an animated movie. People, I, I know people don't like the call already. To argue this, to flame this, it's about as purposeful as getting on Kirsten Dunst's case for playing Kiki in the, du- in the Kiki's Delivery Service dub, or Michael Keaton playing Porco Rosso. Or Julian Anderson having a role in Princess Mononoke way back. I mean, it becomes interesting to me only if, maybe you start to have a case if, uh, if Pratt dresses up as Mario himself, but that's only likely to happen at a Comic-Con promotion. It, it, right? all, it all depends. I, I feel like this all hinges on the, the accents. So to speak. I mean, if he if puts, there is to be one, exactly. It all depends I mean, on the voices, right? I mean, true, you, true. look, think about, think of, and I'll get to you in a sec, Jeff. Think about like the old Saturday morning cartoons that would have existed in the uh, in the eighties, based on on the on Donkey Kong and Super Mario Brothers. It, it wasn't a any accented voice then, and nobody gave two shits. But then again, we're talking Saturday mornings, Jeff. Well, first of all, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show uh, did have an accent. It was just Brooklyn and not Italian. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank <laughs> you, Brooklyn. Um, maybe that maybe keep. As I said, I have uh, my family's uh, roots lie, or at least the this branch of my family does have its roots in New York. So, okay, maybe so, it's all maybe it's all normal to me in that sense. Sorry. So I I do want to disagree with your impassioned uh it doesn't matter because it's animated uh uh, exclamation that you did because a lot of people out there somewhat including myself as well 
Um, the anger isn't that, oh no, Chris Pratt is, is voicing Mario. I'm, there's, there's some of that for sure. Um, the anger stems from the fact that, um, people forgot, I believe, that this was a Hollywood movie. And with a lot of, you know, these bigger Hollywood animated movies, um, actual voice actors are completely shafted. Uh, Charles Martinet, who has been the, the voice of Mario and is an actor aside from whoopee, wahoo, like he can do more than that. He is a skilled actor, but he plays Mario in a video game, so that's what he does. Um, he is, is shafted to a cameo, which I've seen said on Twitter is especially sad because it is possible if the Mario movie does well, he will make more money for saying a couple lines as a cameo than his entire career playing one of the most, if not the most beloved mascots from a video game of all time. Um, the only voice actor in the cast is Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek, uh, <laughs> the Magic Cooper from Yoshi's Island, who has become in further in the series. Um, but everyone else is just big name Hollywood actors. Um, actual is- people trained as voice acting never get billed as credits. Um, that happened, I think we were discussing that with the Space Jam uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, okay. I see. I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm not going to... Yeah, okay. That's a fair point. And Does this I- happen in Japan too when, say, a Miyazaki film happens? When a Ghibli film happens, that's because well, I'm thinking the, that too. The industry is different, though, because like there there will be idols uh, cast for anime roles of all kind, whether in a television series or a movie. But idols um, and that kind of thing, there's there's been this connection with voice acting as well. Like a lot of times, these celebrities will, you know, kind of train in in both of these roles. Um, but I don't. It's okay. It's different. Right. Yeah, becoming an apples and oranges. Thing I because... think uh, overall, like for Ghibli and then those type of ones, like Hosoda and things like of that nature, for those type of movies, maybe the first uh, main leads they might go and reach out live action in Japan stuff like that, but they'll still then go to regular voice uh, actors and stuff like that for most of the other roles. It isn't like a complete live action cast in an animated feature like we're seeing here where they're trying to obviously get seats in uh people in the seats so to speak and and a lot of these these actors i think are talented when it comes to to voice acting like i'm thinking you know i think jack black uh can do a good voice acting role uh seth rogan i think he's he's done a lot of voice acting and even you know Chris Pratt, I'm sure, has has the potential to to train and do well. You just but, feel, but you just feel bad for like anybody who does does the voice, who just does voice acting, and people who've established themselves in that sense. Yeah, but I'm also a realist, and and I knew that this was a Hollywood movie, and this would never happen. Um, like I love Roger Craig Smith to be Sonic, but um, I mean, it's, okay, with that situation is interesting because. Um, oh, I'm blanking on movie Sonic's actor. Um, is it Bill something? I know he also voices uh, Huey. Um, oh, what is his name? We'd have to look it up. But yeah, I, I feel bad about that. Um, 
but you know he is um Schwartz I think is his last name uh anyways he is a kind of uh, I don't wouldn't say he's an A-list Hollywood actor um so I'm I'm I feel much better about him as Sonic but he's also I don't think he's top billing for for Sonic I think Jim Carrey as Robotnik is um but you know uh, the point I was making that I I knew this was going to be Hollywood. It's made by the Wait, Minions. Ben Schwartz team. is a giant big time actor. Yeah, Hold sure. on, what? No, but okay, Ben Schwartz is not like you know I'm going to uh, headline a Marvel movie though. Oh, dude, come on, man, John Raphael. The guy's been on that, Thirty Rock. That, it's all this is television, Mo. <laughs> what about Parks and Rec? That's where Chris Pratt got his start. Again, I I love I love Ben Schwartz, despite the fact that I was blanking on his name. I think he does a great Sonic. I think his uh, I think it is no, it's not Huey, it's Louie, Louie, blue one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he's great as Louie. I I love. I think it works great. Um, but so I'm I'm fine with him as Sonic. But I want to note again. Robotnik Jim Carrey is the headliner of the Sonic movie. Oh, yeah. Um, no, of course. And, you know, it's, it's again, I'm a realist. This was made by Illumination. They're not going to hire, you know, uh, Rob Paulson or Barbara Goodson or, like, you know, any of these, um, you know, Tara Strong. Like, they're not going to voice, they're not going to pick the, the North American stalwarts of voice acting um, as much as they should, and the movie would be better acted um but you're going for the splash right yeah exactly and i i get it i'm i don't i'm sad yeah, but I, I get I, it just imagine <laughs> jeff if they had done that you'd have either nolan north or troy baker playing mario mm-hmm. well and then you the still have people coming at you my mario. yeah my sentiment was i'm i'm not like it doesn't upset me because i just don't think it makes it any less it's just Maybe I didn't really think about the Hollywood angle. It's just hard for me to hold flames to that because maybe it's a no-win situation regardless, regardless of what you were, and maybe because it's Hollywood. That's why why I just don't hold any real venom over the casting choices because I just felt regardless of which way you want uh, it went, it would be debated ad nauseum. I I think there there would have been you know, solutions or at least, you know, better options like make Chris Pat Mario, whatever, but let Charles Martinet stay as Luigi, for example, and not whoever weird line on paranoid board guy. I don't just watch may, put the, still keep. Yeah, him, because he did so many him, voices. Somebody established more towards the, uh, uh, yeah. Or at least have a balance. Line. Yeah. Have a balance or something. Um, but okay. it's, it's just a star studded cast. But again, I do want to say, nice to see Kevin Michael Richardson there. Um, I think that Jack Black is going to nail it as Bowser. Um, that's, I think, excellent I Seth casting. Rogen, yeah. Sure. yeah, Seth Rogen, I think, will do good Donkey Kong. Like for yeah, all yeah, us, yeah. for all us Canadians, uh, we're used to Donkey Kong just being a regular sounding, you know, twenties uh, guy in his twenties, but has an angelic singing voice. Um, hmm. So you know, it's going to be a different take. You yeah. do know, like, they were just listing names, listing characters, but there was one character they didn't list, and that was Yoshi. 
Okay, so that so was kind of interesting. That I, I was talking to someone today. I think Yoshi. I think the the post credit scene is going to be a, a Yoshi egg cracking and then fade to black. Um, <laughs> because Yoshi wasn't cast. I think you know it looks from the plot. You have Foreman Spike. You have Cranky Kong. It's going to be a weird origin movie where where we're talking about the original Donkey Kong, the new Donkey Kong, but also Bowser and Kamek are there. Um, I don't think we're getting to Mario World territory here. Um, it's going to be probably yeah, in the sequel. mostly Brooklyn. Skip to Mario's uh, Mushroom Kingdom for the last uh, two thirds of the movie. Okay. Well, did you want to add something? Was there, or did we? Did the conversation oh, get too far away? I was just going to say. I mean, you know, Chris Pratt's not a bad choice. We could have had worse choices. I mean, he did those Lego movies. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. People are also, you know, there is still a little bit of negativity towards Chris Pratt um, politically. Oh, and I come think, on. I, no, that, that is, I think, a driving factor toward the outrage toward Chris Pratt in particular. I think if it was, say, Ben Schwartz or, um, you know, uh, a less controversial actor, I don't, there would still be a little bit of an uproar, but I don't think there, there would have been as much. But I, I okay, truly do think I truly do think that's a, a big factor. He's he's gonna be like in another in a, another Garden Guardians movie, and then everyone's gonna be like, "Oh yeah, Chris, we like this guy," and then forget uh, all, all about that. It depends on the people, but I, I uh, most of well, the controversy has come out after Guardians two. Okay, but but then again, maybe that also starts to go back into some of those the mentalities that have been known to exist within video game fandom and anime fandom. I mean, we, we've kind of touched on it a little bit with people like Matt Alt, but that's another story altogether, I guess. And I think it kind of ties in, like, as we said, people are so attached and stuff like that. And I think some of it plays in this cast. And we, as we said, and Jeff said, he, we kind of saw this at the beginning because they decided to team with Illumatune and universal <laughs> to get this done and that they're making this a Christmas movie that they're going all in and they're going to, they're spending an exorbitant amount of money and that now uh, they're putting after all these years of not doing these type of movies, it looks like now they're going all in and we'll see uh, how that does for them. I'm sure at least it'll be better than the 1993 movie. Probably won't be oh, as John, unique, John, but John Leguizamo, Bob Hodgkins. Uh, anyway, but it's interesting too. It comes. It comes back. Remember, you said about the direct, right? How the direct was, and mm-hmm. it was similar to that because I was hearing things that I guess with these type of events, sometimes, and as we said, these are marketing exercises. But people are so attached to Nintendo and to these guys that they're so angry that when they see these spoilers, and all I say is. Well, you didn't have to look, and yes, I know it's hard to not look on the internet because somehow something gets through your feed, right? Mm-hmm. Mo, Mo, last, one last thought, and then we'll uh, what, move to the next. What's one. the under over on this making a billion dollars? Theatrically speaking, I think it'll get close. I don't, I don't know if it'll get to a billion because it it is going to be a kids movie. <laughs> yep, and a holiday movie too. So. I'm not, I'm not, has any, like, aside from, like, your Frozen's, has any kids movie broken a million, a billion? I mean, Toy Story, maybe, but that was, like, a while back. 
but we're looking at uh, worldwide box office, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, how will this play in uh, in like China, right? It will be fine. There's no ghosts or skeletons. <gasps> yeah, true, true. But I think mm-hmm. this will be a good step for Nintendo. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with their other uh, properties, how they decide to let them out of the box. But they're still controlling because we've heard about what happened. They act supposedly a Legend of Zelda series that was supposed to be with Netflix because somehow that leaked out. But it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for that. But even the Nintendo Direct uh, showed us some things because we saw... Kirby in a 3D world for the first time ever, which will be interesting to see how that plays out. We saw Bayonetta 3, and that looked pretty damn slick, even though it was like, what, a four-year wait from a teaser trailer that just had the name Bayonetta 3, and now we actually got gameplay. And then the other thing that was of interest was uh, the expansion pack, quote-unquote, of... uh, the virtual console uh, for, I guess, Nintendo's online service that we'll have to pay extra for. And they had N64 and uh, Sega Genesis, which is interesting. So maybe we'll see some other systems, maybe TurboGrafx. And we saw Banjo-Kazooie in that uh, N64 thing. So maybe uh, they're going to get together with Microsoft and get some rare games on that uh, N64 uh, online uh, part of it. And then the most biggest thing of it was... Of course, they're going to do controllers for the Switch <laughs> for Sega Genesis and N64, and they're going to charge a ridiculous $50 US to people, which is going to be even more in Canadian dollars. But it's ridiculous that they're going to charge for both of those, even more ridiculous for Sega Genesis, because they're going the three-button controller, and Japan is getting the six-button controller. And they did this with the Mini, and they said, oh, it's because of nostalgia. And I said, F nostalgia, come on, do the right thing. <laughs> just, just do the six-button controller. No one gave a <laughs> rat's ass how many buttons were on that controller. A are Genesis they, are... and a Mega Drive controller is still a controller with six or three buttons. <laughs> I think the uh, the 3D Kirby uh, news is, is most exciting to me because, you know, most uh, Kirby games will end with uh, Kirby fighting an elder uh, Cthulhu god in a void of (laughs) his own uh, um, self-discovery and psychology and wondering what the purpose of of life and death is um, against a a being that wants to consume all. And those games usually start with Kirby bouncing around a, a fun, happy flower field. This Kirby game starts in a post-apocalyptic mall. Uh, so if that's where it's starting, I'm, I'm, I really want to know what the final boss of, uh, this one's going to be. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, it's post-apocalyptic world. It's like Kirby, the last of us. Mm -hmm. Okay. But thinking too, it's like they also had Splatoon 3 more of that, which is fun to see. And we get to see that mammals are going to make an appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I got to I got to see if I can uh, watch that at some point. It's just been busy. All right, let's move on. Item. Didn't know this was in the works. A live action Saint Seiya or Zodiac Knights or Knights of the Zodiac. A live action has been Sean in the works. Bean the is, uh, Sean Bean is supposedly going to be on it. So what's the over-under his character dies in it, given his wishes? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm thinking like first fifteen minutes, maybe. <laughs> isn't isn't the the project finished or something weird like that? Like it was just made and no one was talking about it. Hey, I'm not complaining, man. I wish more people did that. You know, just like show up with like a trailer, being, "Hey, we we filmed oh, yeah, this right. thing." You know, it's coming out in a week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The production. The it says here that the it was it's done. Oh, it's dear. interesting though because I think it'll be interesting to see how it does in English, but. I think where it really has its legs, and I know we've talked about ad nauseum again, and Jeff has mentioned it too, is I think Latin America is where this really hits. And it'll be interesting to see who uh, plays uh, for the Spanish voices, I guess. This sounds like the Saint Sia movie. Well, hey, hey, welcome, Kevin. Glad you made it about an hour, 12 minutes into this whole mess. Hey, yeah. Uh, just in time to talk I, about Saint Seiya. Well, we're in the middle of the bullets, just for reference, Kevin. Okay. Okay. And we'll uh, get you up to speed on other things after we're done. But uh, we're in the second bullet now, Kevin. So we've already talked the main stuff. We just have a couple more to go. So, uh, hey, welcome. Get to, get to close it out with us tonight. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always nice How was your day, by the way? Uh, it was a little hectic. Uh, well, no, it was not not all hectic, but it was just busy. Like I had a I had a former coworker come over, uh, and then my sister came over as well because we were doing some more like staging stuff. Okay. And then we then we went out to like buy more stuff for the unit, and then we also had dinner at my brother's current place of employment, which is this uh, new hot pot place near, I want to say Finch and Brimley. Okay. There's some famous like Chinese hot pot chain, apparently. All right. Well, well, we, we'll talk about that uh, when we're uh, yeah. done off, off the air tonight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's con- continue well, this thought. Do you... Do you want to get in on the whole talk of the of the Saint Seiya movie? Oh, I was just going to echo what James said. This is 100% geared towards the non-North American audience because it really feels like Saint Seiya hit everywhere except for North America. Hmm. Like by the time we got it, it was much too late. Yeah, but the, sometimes that's sort of the way it goes. Yeah, which is fine. Well, okay, which leads me to a thought. And it sort of goes like this. Like, we make this joke about here in Toronto. This isn't a Canadian joke about Toronto being the center of the universe. It's mocked by the rest of Canada. And I'm wondering if anime fandom is almost like that. Hear me out for a couple seconds. Has uh, overseas anime fandom become too North American or U.S. centric? Does 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 the anime fandom in North America think too much of itself? Like the international anime fandom think too much of itself in the U.S. and I guess to a lesser degree Canada, because yes, there are pockets everywhere else, and it's a dedicated pocket. Some of those pockets, especially in Europe, or may can use the argument it's even older. And they and obviously, depending on where you go, some series are more popular than others. 
Saint Seiya we've already mentioned. But I know Kimigori Orange Road was all ha, has uh, some very dedicated fan bases in Europe. And we can even look at City Hunter in France and stuff like that. And it even got a live action movie in France. Or mm-hmm. Captain Tsubasa. Oh, yeah. And a lot of other parts of the world. So uh, does, does, like, maybe this is sort of just an expansion on North America in general and how it compares to the rest of the world. So would you say that about fandom here? Does it think too much of itself? Does anime fandom in North America and the U.S. think too much of itself? I think it's it's more they don't think of of anything aside from themselves. Um, I don't think it's it's a boastful Basically, arrogance of yeah. Like I don't I don't think this, it's this boastful arrogance of we're the best. Uh, you know, we're the best foreign anime fans in in the world. I think it's more just they don't care. They don't get out there. They don't um, too like self absorbed. Looking in a mirror. No, yeah. I think it's more in the bubble sort of thing. You know. Yeah. Way more. yeah. I think it is a bubble situation yeah. because, you know, we're not like for the most part, people in North America aren't thinking about anime fans in Mexico. I think a lot of people probably only learned or conceptualized of anime fans in Mexico when there was that big Dragon Ball Super thing where they played it to a, you know, crowded, you know, plaza in the middle of a city. Like, I think that. Well, people... that was across the different cities and stuff like that. And I think it even stretched to some other spots in South America. And it just hid in people saying, yeah, these series have been really popular in other parts of the world and they've touched a nerve. And trust me, uh, Dragon Ball touched a nerve in other places and people were learning about, which was great. And, mm-hmm. you know, Brazil wins international cosplay contests all the time. You know, we've mentioned France. Um, France is huge with anime and a lot of geek culture stuff as well. I think the third season of Sonic X aired there before other countries. Um, wow. You know, there's it was that was the weird in space season. So it's not that impressive. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like you know there's there's so much like when i was living in costa rica there was an established uh manga cafe um and like just a general pop culture cafe that had you know statues of of anime characters and you know comic book character glasses and a little anime store built into the cafe like it was this entire structure in the city and this was like a little mini city outside of the the capital um, within half an hour, 45 minutes of, of walking, there were two or three anime stores, uh, plus the, the, uh, manga anime cafe. And this is, this is Costa Rica. It's not the most, uh, you know, urban, um, built up, uh, place in Central America. It's probably close, but like, I don't know what the community would be like in Panama city, for example, or, um, you know, not sure about Nicaragua. It's, it's maybe not as built up or or prosperous, but like Mexico, especially. Like, I imagine Mexico probably has dozens of of anime stores and manga cafes. Mm-hmm. So, and let me end, and I'll I'll we'll end the bullet. I want to end the bullet soon because you know maybe we should finish up in a bit. So, am I making too much of this idea? Possibly. Possibly, yeah, I'll, I'll, I acknowledge it. 
it's just keep in mind with the expansion with anime anime's market growing somebody on the outside is going to have some control in it so which region will it be from north america will it be from europe who will have a little bit more of an impact on things moving forward and for in, and and an impact in japan for that matter i forget cuz that's why I, I i'm curious about, that's why i put out that question I forget what country it was, but there is a, a live action CGI hybrid Woody Woodpecker movie that was made and it was not made for North America. I don't, I think it maybe had a day in theaters. Um, I forget what country it was, but there was another country in the world that still loves Woody Woodpecker. It is not the U S or Canada. Um, and it was theatrical in internationally. This Okay. Um, so I think it could be a situation like that. Mm -hmm. It was Brazil, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for looking it up. But there's, a, there's, it's just, that's why I thought about it. That's why I want to at least have that conversation for, for a few minutes. When I saw this headline on Saint Seiya. Cause, and this is overstating it. A battle for anime soul is about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's overstating it. I, you know, I, I thought that was the first segment. Oh yeah, well, yeah, well, we're always talking about uh, about uh, souls here. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. Oh no, I I have I'm pretty fond of Saint Seiya. I I did own the manga at one point and actually read it, and it's 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 kind of nuts. It's uh it's a lot of fun and a little cheesy, but you know that's that's the eighties for you. Uh. <laughs> Lots of spirit, maybe, lots of soul. Like, oh man, I, I loved reading it. And I kind of regret getting rid of it now, now that I think about it. Well, I guess it's also, this is also a pitch for, you know, people who didn't know what it was to have, to have some familiarity with it. I don't think it's going to come here, though. I, I highly doubt it. The, the live action? Yeah, like maybe a limited run. Maybe a limited run. Wait, what? Maybe on this. I'm guessing well, it'll be I, on Netflix. It'll be on Netflix. I was oh. gonna I think say, I see it on this was a Netflix, uh, a streaming vehicle for this one. So we'll see. I mean, Sony's mm -hmm. Sony's distributing it. So I mean, maybe Netflix. I guess. But damn, I thought this would have got like a theatrical release and stuff. No. No, no one gives a shit about Saint Seiya here. You know, you, you say that now, but then once like you get the first trailer and okay. hype starts building, I mean, you know, okay. Sean Bean's still a name people know. They, they, they do have the names it could be a pretty spectacular death Here, here's, here's they do have the names but they've had so many kicks at the can with saint say and kevin can do it attest to this that it just every time they've tried to sell it every which way they just haven't been able to do it and even discotech tried yeah. its hardest and they said the reason they did the blu-ray of the recent movies was okay we'll just do this and see how it does because they said it just was abysmal Okay, yep. Kevin, last point. Oh, I was just going to say how to correct myself a little bit. Like, unless you're of, I don't know, Italian descent or like, or you're from South America or Central America, like, yeah, people don't care. Because I'll tell you this, when I used to work at a, at a luxury retailer in Toronto, I'll, I spoke to a couple of the uh, older Hispanic gentlemen that were my colleagues and uh they knew that i was into anime and then they would 
asked me, oh, did you watch, uh, God, I don't remember the, the Spanish name for Saint Seiya, but they asked me, oh, do you know this? I was like, yeah, I do. And they're like, yeah, I, they, they would, they tell me that they watched it when they were little or like their kids watched it back home. I was like, damn. <laughs> Maybe uh, for uh, this movie, they'll bring back the Bowling for Soup cover of Iran for the, uh, for the trailer. I mean, they have to, right? I thought, I thought that was <laughs> locked down from the beginning, right? It was not the core premise of this whole thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm never just wretch right now. It's interesting. I'm looking because this they did this in Hungary and Croatia. I'm just reading up on this just to see. But now I'm not sure uh, where they're actually. I guess you're right. I guess it is going to be theatrical. Well, but it's still of curiosity. That's but sure. you're right. It said... Toei is distributing Japan and Sony Pictures Worldwide Acquisitions is distributing outside Japan, except mm-hmm. China and Middle East. <laughs> it might not resemble Saint Seiya at all. Like that is, you know, you can do a lot with the title Knights of the Zodiac. Um, like it is possible we're not going to get colorful armor sets at all. And it's just going to be a weird semi-modern medieval story thing. Yeah, that's possible. I'd be too. down for that. I totally watched that. Okay. Just to see, like, I would go just to see how much it deviates from the source material. Like, I don't expect it to be good, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I just, uh, I, just crash, be, right? I just expect to be entertained. Okay. Ironically, Check your brain at the door, right? Yeah. Actually, well, now that I look at yeah, they actually, I forgot Mark... Uh, the Cascos was on here too for the Cascos, so it's an interesting. Oh cast wow, list. really? Yeah. yeah on the topic of on the topic of lost live action adaptations, Mark DeCascos, he of Crying Freeman. Yep. Oh. Yep. Yep. But most of them going to watch will probably remember Iron Chef and Hawaii Five O, right? Or yeah, John yeah, Wick yeah. if, if they're really. If you want to go, uh, if you want to go, ten years, uh, at least ten years. Crying Freeman okay. is a powerful, powerful hmm? series. Yeah. Anyway. But that's interesting when you think about anime adaptations and you think about this cast list. This is a pretty good cast list. It just depends, I guess, on how they decide to write it up and put it forward, I guess. And how I they guess. market it. Well, it's done. So let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Can't wait to see the results. All right. Well, just imagine if that had been uh, the cast list uh, for the Mario movie. We'd be having a different discussion, I oh, guess, right? Dear God. Oh, boy. Dude, yeah. what, 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 well, if, what if they were to release like the Mario movie this holiday season? <laughs> just be like, hey, guys, it's done. Here you go. <laughs> you wish. Okay. So, well, we've talked Mario. We've talked Saint Seiya finally tonight. Coming back to Beating a Dead Horse. The first trailer, Netflix released it for the live-action Cowboy Bebop earlier today. Are you sure that wasn't a mid-2000s AMV mic? Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? People, I know it's getting universally panned. Really? It depends on where you go. Well, it depends depends on where you go. go. Some have been more receptive, some have been less receptive and less kind. Okay, uh, all right, and um, maybe Moe's going to... Mo, you didn't see it, so or did you see it, or are you just not trying to have an opinion right now? I mean, I, I, it's, we'll get to this in a sec. Yeah, no, it was the opening song. I saw, I saw the opening song that they said. Was it? Was there a trailer that they released as well? Yeah, it was like it. It, it was essentially the trailer, I guess. I mean, okay. But people called it the opening, but 
I mean, okay, what just around the table quickly, what do people make of it right away? Like it, hate it, what caught your attention, etc. I I think they did their best to capture the spirit of of the original Cowboy Bebop animated sequence. I think the heart is there. It just feels a little off. It feels a little I don't want to say fake, but it feels a little robotic. And okay. I think it's just doing that kind of aesthetic in a live action in live action just doesn't feel the same as if it was done animated. Hmm. Because it's added, it felt one for one, I guess, for some people. I guess so. I think that's where the panning begins. Jeff? Yeah, I, I think I can see that one for one. Like I, I like Mo, I haven't I think like Mo, I haven't seen the original series. Um, but I've seen the opening because I love anime openings. Um and it, yes, yes, we've we've had that conversation. It it was there were certain parts of it that were very odd. Like I think there was one where there's a character uh running kind of at an isometric angle and it it seemed like weird that you had this green screen actor like green screened actor running like that but i i liked some of the the other moments where you had these um i'm guessing tertiary characters kind of doing their thing and clips from the show um like those seemed kind those are of villains but i think some of yeah, those yeah, are yeah. episodic villains yeah, yeah like those those seemed fun like it kind of reminded me of um uh, early Umbrella Academy when the the two um, I guess early antagonists are still wearing the weird masks like it it had this kind of fun um, live action speed racer maybe kind of vibe um, maybe more um, nuanced or more adult Power Rangers like it it was this kind of like really fun um, like there was a nice energy to it that that seemed like they weren't taking themselves too seriously. Um, I can already say I probably will like this series more than Firefly, um, <laughs> but I have very mixed thoughts about Firefly. Um, it 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 seems better. Uh, I don't want to say better than a CW superhero show. Uh, it's maybe on par um, with. Some that's a of, fair. No, that's an interesting statement. Like it. it it's, I already find that. I I do kind of see comparisons with it, but like it seems a little bit higher budget and energy like you know like a, a doom patrol is a good example like doom patrol star girl uh superman and lois over something like arrow and flash so something a little bit higher budget but still not the most high budget <laughs> hmm. i think mo do you want do you want to offer a thought or you want to keep uh keep your feelings on a clean slate for a while Clean slate for a while Okay, James. <laughs> I think James already kind of expressed his thoughts, but do you was, want to repeat them one more time? Similar to Jeff and Kevin, that there definitely was the homage to the original series, not just like the song and stuff like that, with some sprinkling of some of the tertiary characters. Interesting enough, no Ed. So we'll have to see what happens with that as the series goes along. But I guess some people were uh, having some positive feelings on it because I guess it made them feel like, okay, we have the creative minds. Yoko Kano is there. She is going to provide new music. We have this energy and this feeling there. So it can't be a complete train wreck. I think people are like, 
I think I think the naysayers on this are have already made up their mind for starters. Dude, I hate when that happens, man. Like, yeah, you know, I know. Give it a chance, guys. That's I why, know. like, if you have nothing nice to say, or if you've already set in, then why are you going to put yourself through the cruelty of just continuing to watch it when you have that mindset? Because you're never yeah, going to enjoy mean, it, right? It's just, so it's it's you got to you got to look at it its own thing, and I'm sure they'll have the nods, right? And they'll be like. Mm-hmm either hit or miss right when they do those nods but maybe it'll find its own rhythm and stuff like that and we can find those moments uh, well, to enjoy I mean, it, right i think so i think there was a statement this week that just said we are going to try and expand some of the canon here oh. keep in mind keep in mind in many respects that's sort of what the cowboy bebop movie did it was a it was just an episode that took place somewhere in between episode 24 and 25 if memory serves me right it was just another story to add before the climax of the original anime series and the, I, so there'll be so my guess is i guess we'll hear a, like we will get the course uh, a take on the core story but then they'll add little things that may add new layers to the characters that you wouldn't have thought of before sorry james I was thinking that uh, probably for this project too, they probably will have more of a storyline. Maybe, obviously, as we said, some of those uh, returning uh, villains and maybe certain characters will be worked and looked at maybe differently. But I think you'll have some stories where it won't be as episodic as we saw in the anime. There may be some of that, but I think there'll be more an underlying storyline that we'll see throughout the episodes. And not to say there was an underlying storyline in the anime, there was, but it was only at certain key episodes, so to speak. So to speak. But that all said, and this is my final thought on the whole thing. Maybe uh, anime music like, anime music video like, which I know James said on the outset, there is a part of me really wondering if this is going to be the op- actual opening or this is just a teaser. Oh, it's it's going to be the opening. You think it'll be the opening? I'm not. Opening. I'm not totally convinced myself. But then again, there's that wait, see, wait and see. Yeah, true, true. Because, because I, because, because I could see how many, how it could have really bothered a lot of people today too. It's just maybe it's too one for one, too campy, whatever. But I think, and and, and I, I could, and like. I know that Yoko Kano is composing st- uh, new pieces for this presentation. And maybe I would presume a rework of some classic themes, too, from the, from the series. We just heard the original, more or less, uh, an, uh, the original version of Tank. And I'm wondering if we're going to hear some sort of rework of it, a reimagining of that song. If, uh, if Kano-san herself has reimagine the song in some form but i'm just not sorry i was gonna say i'll take uh english real folk blues i'd be curious (laughs) i was gonna say we'll definitely be seeing real folk blues and she's not above above, uh trying to do something in english she's had her collaborators that way like it probably won't be my yamane but i'd be curious to see how it turns out (laughs) and she's had her english collaborators in the past I forgot his name off the top of my head, but yeah. So I, I'm not. I, I'm just convinced. I'm not convinced that 
we should just go with this as as the actual opening. There's and but of course there's more to come. On that note, before we end off this evening, and, and we'll of course we'll talk about it more in the future. But we do have a related uh, Cowboy Bebop note to add as we end off tonight. Uh, Mo, do you want to pitch this? Do yep, you want to mention yep, this? Yep. All right. So uh, I'm working on a little something something for everyone. Uh, hopefully be hitting the feeds in the next couple weeks. And then subsequently after that, I'm trying to keep it a surprise, I guess. But uh, but yeah, something's in the works. And uh be adding it to the feed at some point in the future. So look out for that, guys. We are going to expand the Anime Roundtable slash Six Talk Podcast Network universe. Mo has pitched something. We are a new show that will probably go along with Anime Roundtable. And we're, we're going to see where it goes. But since I asked him to pitch it... He, after talking Cowboy Bebop, there's a hint already. Or oh. should we edit that out? Should we edit that out? No, that, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. But oh. uh, stay tuned for that. The others, well, James and Jeff have been pitched on it already before the recording. Kevin's going to get the pitch when I hit the stop button in a couple minutes. But Kevin, or does Kevin want to take a guess at it now before we go tonight? Uh, before I, well, I don't have any real guess. I have no clue what's going on. I came late, but I actually <laughs> like this quote. I like this tweet that Justin Zavegas wrote about the Cowboy Bebop Netflix theme or release. It was he he said people like animation because the limited frame rate and detail make it surrealism by definition. Live action can be a frame for frame clone of the animation and still come off looking dull by comparison because it's not the same medium and can't offer the brain the same thing. It's this, a fair statement. This is and not maybe that end. Oh, sorry. There's Tim- one more part of the tweet. Oh, okay, uh, go ahead. This is not an indictment of this opening. If anything, it shows they were really paying attention to the original show's style, but I remain trepidatious because Ghost in the Shell did that too. It just forgot to add a soul. You know, I completely forgot that they made a live-action Ghost in a Shell movie. <laughs> forgot about Scarlett Johansson. I think a lot of people would like to forget. Uh, well, okay. What do you make of that tweet? Now that we and I guess we'll end it off uh, with that with a thought on that. What do you make of that tweet? I, I'm I'm okay. I get where he's going. Sometimes there's animation has a certain minimalist thing, but. I'm always open to interpretations anyway, and that's where this is. So, okay, and go with that mind. Go with that mindset, but let's... I'm Well, obviously I'm open to seeing what ultimately happens. I think most of us are. You know, I think I would have liked it a little more if I wasn't directly comparing it with the animated version in my mind. And maybe that's the fail, uh, the, where the panning is coming from. And but then again, that's where the pa- uh, it's the panning, the general panning of the project too. Yeah, is like, coming from. I, I, I do like the fact that they added some like episodic villains and they added vicious into it too. Like I agree with Jeff on that front. That's it's a nice touch. It, 
So I don't know. It just feels kind of weird because I'm just used to seeing it animated. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think we're about to see another angle. Almost certain. Well, thanks for making it, though, Kevin. At least in time. <laughs> Glad you made it. Glad you had a good day. Does anyone else want to add anything, or should we just uh, call it a night? Yeah, let's call it. I, I got, I, I got more. I, I, I mean, when it comes down to it, I think I got more coffee to piss out before the end of the night. God damn, Mike! <laughs> You're making me miss the dollar, dollar billy all thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got for tonight. Once again, a reminder where you can contact us. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com. And don't forget, word of mouth is always good, so tell your friends about this show if you think they'll like it, and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this, because any reviews, especially good ones, will help us in the algorithm and hopefully show us to others who might be able to stumble upon us. Kevin? No? Oh, right. So, we would appreciate any high reviews, any highly rated reviews on any platform that allows you to leave a review. So that's probably just Apple Podcasts, really. Because uh, <laughs> I know Spotify doesn't let you do that. So... We would also appreciate any feedback that you have for us. Uh, please don't be scared to write into us, uh, even if it's uh, even if it's negative, because we would like to improve. Yeah, this 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 should probably get one or two stars tonight. What did we I typically? What did I, <laughs> hmm? I was like, what did I miss for it to be like one or two stars? Oh, we'll, we'll fill you in. Uh, we'll fill you in at the end. We typically do episodes once every other week, but sometimes we'll go consecutively, and I think we might in the next bit. But if you don't want to miss out, hit the subscribe button wherever you're hearing this to be notified whenever we do add something new. But that's it. So until next time, good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable.